You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, so today we'll be continuing the Real Church series. Uh, this is part two of A Real Witness. As promised, I will finish that out this week. And then next week, uh, it should be Pastor Jesse on missions, I believe, if, if I remember correctly. So be looking forward to that one. So turn into your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8 again is where we're going to be sitting. And then stand with me as we read these, these verses. Uh, they are on the screen if, if you haven't been able to turn there uh, fast enough. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we, so that we need not to speak anything. Let's pray. Lord, I am... So grateful and honored to be able to preach your word and to teach your word, Lord. I pray that you speak through me in a mighty way today. But not only that, I pray that you work in each and every one of our hearts, Lord. Your spirit move through this congregation today and, and in our hearts and minds to be prepared and convicted by you to be examples to this world, to be authentic, true followers of you, Lord, and, and loving towards this world and to be uh, have a good testimony and a good witness, Lord, to share your word and your gospel and who you are through our example, Lord. I pray that we, we learn from you today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to do a quick overview, recap where we were last week, bring us up to speed, and then we'll continue on. I stopped right in the middle of section or uh, point number two. Uh, we, start, we left off with letter A, but I'm going to recap all of those just as a quick reminder for you. The first century church at Thessalonica became a model church for spreading the gospel of Christ. They saturated their own area with a gospel witness and even spread that witness to regions far beyond. We just saw that in the text, that it was not just impacting Thessalonica, but all of the areas outside of there. Through their testimony, we learn how to have a witness for Christ that is substantial and that powerfully affects the lives of others. We don't want to just be just friends of people and just caring with people. We want to be actually having an impact in people's lives. We want to bring them hope of who God is and, and his love. We want to bring them the chance to have somebody to talk to because if you remember what it was like before you were saved, you were alone. You probably weren't literally alone, but Satan definitely wanted to make you feel isolated and completely alone in, in where you were at, your sin captivated you or, and, and, and enslaved you, and there was no escape. There was no way out of it, and fortunately, God found and gave us a way back in Genesis chapter 3. He said, I will bruise, uh, 
bruise, or you will bruise his heel, but he will hurt your head. Satan was going to be the loser in this story, and thankfully that <laughs> runs throughout the entire Bible. And, and I'm excited about it. I don't know why Satan still thinks he has a chance, but God, if we read the Bible, if we trust in, the God, in God's word, then we have hope knowing that the, the evil one, the, the tempter, the, the liar, the, the one that entices us and tricks us and tries to lead us astray will ultimately lose, and that's exciting because we, being followers of Christ, have hope. And we get to be a witness and share that with people. We get to tell them, hey, you're not alone. Hey, there is an answer to this. There is a solution to your problem. Guess what? Jesus is the way. He is the way, and he is real, and he's alive. And guess what? There is hope. There is a way out, a way of escape. So here it is. On Paul's second missionary journey, we saw last week that he stopped in the city of Thessalonica, and in Acts chapter 17, we get a small glimpse of that, verses 1 through 4. Now, when they had passed through Amphip Am Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where, a, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, this is what he normally did, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered it was important for him to suffer and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, who I, I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. In other words, it had an impact. He went in there, and he, this is just what he normally did. He, he shook things up, and he said, here's the answer. Here's our Savior. Here's our Christ. And it, his name is Jesus. The, the church that Paul planted at Thessalonica was what many have considered to be the model church of the first century. And I asked this question last week, and I'll ask it again. Why was this? Why was this church? Their faith? That definitely had an impact. Authenticity. That's the answer. It was the authenticity of the Christians in the church. They were real Christians. They were not putting a show on. They truly were real and authentic. The outcome of their authenticity was a witness that spread throughout not only their own region, but abroad as well. First Thessalonians 1.8, it said, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that, way, so that we need not to speak anything. Last week we covered point number one, the remembrance of the apostle. Paul remembered that from the very beginning, this church had a real faith, as Kurt said, a real love and a real hope in the Lord. Verses 2 through 3, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So letter A was a work of faith. They had a work of faith. The Christians at Thessalonica had placed their faith in Jesus, and as a result, they had the product of genuine faith, a faith that actually works. When your faith is placed in something that's not real, when it's not something that can hold up, when it's a foundation made of sand and not a rock, then it just withers away. It gets washed away by the storm. There's no way it's going to hold up, and it, it then is not a faith that works. Well, Jesus Christ is a faith that works, and they knew this. That's what they placed their faith on, and that's why it was successful. Their faith was the kind that produced action. 
James 2.18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, you, show thee my faith by my works. Actions speak louder than words, in other words. They see it. It's not just a matter of saying it, but actually seeing what's happening. That shows their faith. Works for the Lord can never save us. We as believers already know this. We can try and try and try, and there's religions out there that say there's ways you can do it, but it's impossible. But we are only saved by faith in Christ. He's the only way. If you remember, genuine faith produces genuine service. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If it was something we were capable of doing, then there was no reason for Jesus to come, and now we would have an opportunity to boast in our own ability. So then if we were able to save ourselves, guess what happens? Now we have a following. So that defeats what God would have done. But no, this is that's impossible. There is no way other than Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we would have the opportunity to boast. There's no this way and that way, this religion, that religion, this believer, this belief, this miracle drug. There, there's no way other than Jesus Christ. He is the only way. That is the only option. And if there was any other way, then Jesus would have been given another option than other than dying on the cross. He even asked the Father, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup for me. I don't, I don't want to have to do this. If there's any other way, make it so. But your will be done. And guess what? There was no other way. He went to the cross. He took our sins upon himself, and he died on the cross and paid the penalty that we couldn't pay ourselves in order that we would have eternal life with him. So... He was the only way, and God and Jesus made it very clear. And I think that that little section in, in Scripture was put there to show that there literally was no other option. He was the only way. From start to finish, the Christian life is to be lived by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Letter B was labor of love. These Christians were focused and wholehearted in their labor for the Lord. It was a labor of love, and true love always labors. Letter C, patience of hope. This church labored with faith and love, but they also labor, labored with what? Well, I just basically gave you the answer. It was patience. They labor, labored with patience. They did not allow their work to be stopped by discouragement. They steadily worked forward for the Lord because they had their focus on Jesus' return. They were looking forward to his coming again. Their hope was founded on the coming of Christ. Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Our service for him is not in vain. It has eternal significance. The pain that we suffer in this world is not in vain, but it's for eternal reasons. He's preparing us for something, and, and I'm going to hit a little bit on this in the Sunday service. There's a reason we go through what we go through. And I'm excited to talk about that, but I'm not going to spoil any of, you, any of it for you. And maybe you've already read ahead in the Bible and you know what it's all about. But, <laughs> um, but for those that are eagerly anticipating, I'll, I'll save it for later. One day we will see Jesus face to face. And I am so excited and looking forward to that. And I sometimes, well, I quite often wish it was now. I, I've, I was talking about this a little bit last week. 
when we were sitting by the campfire, I'm torn. Yes, I want to see my kids grow and I want to see them experience life and have kids of their own and, and get experience in this world, but I also don't want them to experience this world. There are some terrible things and it just keeps getting worse and I'm dumbfounded by the things I read on the news. I have to walk away from it because I just can't read it anymore. And I'm not spending hours sitting there reading it. No, it's a news flash comes up and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I walk away again because it's just too much to bear. I just, I don't want my kids to be suffering in this world. So him coming back will be such a blessing and I'm excited about that. Well, guess what, Thessalonica, we're looking forward to the same thing that gave them hope, that gave them encouragement, knowing that whatever pain was happening now was not forever. The second point, and this is where we left off last week, the relationships of the people. I, I talked about this a little bit about this church. Man, the relationships of the people in this church has been one of the biggest reasons that I stayed. The main reason I was excited to be here in the first place is because we had a genuine love for one another. That is a powerful thing, and people notice it when they walk in. But not only in this church, but if we act the same way we do here outside of the church and in our jobs and in our friendships and our relationships with people, people notice. This person is different. I don't understand why they're different, but I want to, I want to be around this person. It is infectious being positive and being an encouragement and being real and being there for somebody. It's an encouraging and very different thing because this world teaches us to be self-centered, self-seeking, and self-gratifying and self-loving. And then when somebody out of nowhere all of a sudden chooses to love you instead of themselves, it kind of shakes them a little bit. They're like, what is this? It, it throws them off a little bit, maybe makes them uncomfortable at first, and maybe that first encounter when you're sharing the gospel with them really throws them off because they don't understand why in the world you or, or some God would choose to love them when they're trying to still figure out how to fix and figure things out for themselves and nobody else prior to this has really truly loved them or cared about them so why is this person coming up to me and talking to me and, and actually genuinely care about what, I have, what I'm going through right now but when you keep coming back and you keep showing you genuinely care and, say, and, and you walk back up to them three weeks later and say hey man how was that thing going that you told me about you know your sister was hurting or, or you know I know you were praying for this to happen you know I've been praying for you man that'll wake them up quick and be <laughs> Really? You actually have been praying this whole time for me? That has an impact. Real people with real relationships and being really authentic and genuinely loving people has an impact. And that's our job. That's our witness. That's how we can be a testimony. You may not know what to say specifically, the words to look up in the Bible and to show people, but guess what? It's our example that has a big impact on people. It's not the words that we say. It's our example and how we truly love them. And we can cultivate our ability to do that genuinely and to stay true to the Bible when we're in the Word consistently. We grow ourselves, and then we just overflow into other people with the things we're learning. You don't have to be eloquent in speech. None of the apostles were the elite Christians or, or religious leaders of the time. No, they were just basic fishermen that didn't have very good education. And he's chosen people over, over, and over again, time after time, all the way from the beginning, people that shouldn't have been, to do great and mighty things through him. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, 
you look at the lineage and you look at the, all those people and who they were, all the sins they committed, all the terrible things they did because they were human and how God chose to use them instead of a, a godly and, and perfect lineage, you see how God can use the worst of this world, the, the least likely people to do the most powerful things through him. So don't, we don't have that excuse. We just need to be real and authentic and truly love people. So the relationships of people, wherever you find a church with a real witness that is producing fruit, you will find a church where the relationships are Christ-honoring and spiritually strong. When a church family has right relationships with their spiritual leaders and with one another, they have the freedom to focus outwardly on those who need the gospel. Letter A was they followed the human examples. God chooses to use people. So we need to use that responsibility wisely. The very first encounter these people had with anyone who represented Christ was when the Apostle Paul came to their city. Their impression of him could have served to either turn them away from Christ or deepen their interest in Christ. And what a great responsibility we have as Christians to keep a godly testimony for the Lord. It is not something we should take lightly. It is a very real thing. And I heard it said this way one time. Using the Lord's name in vain is, is, can be a spoken thing, but it can also be our actions. Our actions can be using the Lord's name in vain. Well, you might say, well, I don't, I don't curse. I don't say, you know, Jesus flippantly I don't say God that stinks you know that kind of stuff which is it's hard for me to even speak it out because I hate saying it like that because it's terrible that's using his name in vain but our actions do the same thing so we need to have a godly testimony for the Lord everything we do either or takes away from who God really is or lifts him up in people's sight and that's what Paul did he showed them who Christ was through his testimony. What we do in our everyday living can help us gain entrance into the hearts of people who need to hear the message that we are commissioned to tell them. As Charles Spurgeon pointed out, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. All throughout the New Testament epistles, we see spiritual leaders investing in the lives of Christians. It was a work of missions, and Jesse will talk about this next week. Notice these verses, verses, however, that Paul used to describe his personal care for the Christians at Thessalonica, verses 7 through 12. But we were gentle among you. We were not throwing this in your face. We were not fighting with you, trying to contest what the word really says. We were not arguing about this and that. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherith, cherish, wow, see, I did it this week too, cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. We wanted to pour ourselves into you, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Verse 11, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. I love listening and, and reading Paul's 
letters because, man, he just gives us examples of how to be. <laughs> That's a good example. He's not only had an impact on them, but he has an impact on me. Just reading his words, it's like, okay, be like a father is. Be strong and encouraging, but gentle and loving. While some Christians take the attitude of, I don't follow anyone but the Lord, following spiritual leaders is not only helpful, but it's biblical. Paul commended the church at Thessalonica for following him, and he instructed the church at Corinth to follow him as well. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. If we are going to expect people to follow us, then we need to be genuine followers of Christ. Otherwise, we're leading them away from Christ, or leading them astray. We're walking a different path. I'd rather walk the path of Christ and have people following right behind me than be leading them away. When the Lord gives the church a spiritual leader with a godly testimony, he expects the church to follow his leadership and example. Now we move on to this week's lesson, and I tried to get through that part quickly. Letter B, they, they followed the Lord. Spiritual leaders always direct attention to the Lord. It is not about what they're doing. It's not the answers they have. It is not their words, but it is Jesus Christ. It is the focal point. It is our Lord, our Savior, and he is the only answer. And it all goes back to the Bible. It is the word of God. That's what we point back to. And any leader that does other than that should be one you question. Paul's goal at Thessalonica was not merely for people to follow him. It was that he could point the worship to Christ and help these new believers learn to walk with the Lord. It was not how to walk with Paul. It was, hey, here is our God. Here's how to follow him. Here's what he did. Here's how to have faith in him. Jesus promised spiritual light and direction to those who followed him. John 8, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I can read that easily saying, if you're not walking with Jesus, you're walking basically in pitch black. You're blinded and you will stumble. Try walking through a house, a messy house, and if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Walk through a house and unexpectedly stumble and step on things. It happens. But when Jesus is there, guess what? He's the light of the world and now the path is clear. You can see and he's, he's guiding you through the path he's already lit up for you. I'd much rather be on that path. Notice the caveat to this promise, though, we must follow who? who? Who do we need to follow here? Jesus, Christ, yes. That's who we have to follow. In the first century, following Christ was no child's play. It was not a game to them. It, it often meant ridicule from friends and family, loss of status in society, loss of employment, and sometimes prison and death. It was a very serious thing to follow Jesus in that time, and I feel like it's starting to get to that point in these days. It's starting to become very real, even in our country. There's other countries right now where the prison is, an, is a thing. Fortunately, we've been blessed to hold that off a little while, but I think it's starting to steer that direction. The results of following Christ are not usually as severe in, in America, but we note them here so that way we remember the full nature of following Christ. As an unknown author once said, Jesus wants followers, not merely admirers. What happened when he, he said that his body was bread and, and 
he was talking to the multitudes, what happened to most of them? They walked away. <laughs> You're like, this guy is crazy. And they're like, that, that can't be. You know, like, he, he basically said, I need real followers. I need, some, I need disciples. I need, I need my apostles. And that was the moment where he, he chose his 12, but the rest just fled. They, they walked away. They, they were not going to get what they thought they were going to get out of this. But they were admirers, not real followers. Christ wants us to follow him completely and wholeheartedly. Only then will our witness for him be substantial and effective. And so we see the first remembrance of the apostle. Paul remembered that this church was unique and genuine in their faith, their love, and hope. Then he noted the relationships of the church. He pointed out that as they followed his leadership, he was able to point them to follow Christ, considering their sincerity of heart and receptivity of the spirit, it is easy to see why this church got a firm start and had a strong testimony for Christ. All that we have seen so far about the church in Thessalonica brings us to the crux of this lesson, the church's reputation as having a what for Christ. They had a reputation for what for Christ. Yep, they had a real love and a hope and a faith in him. I'll give you a hint. It's, it's the title of the message. <laughs> witness. They had a real witness for Christ. Yes. So number three, the reputation of the church. Every church, it has a reputation. When the name of the church is mentioned in the community, people have a perception of what that church is like. Perhaps they think of it as a loving church or maybe a harsh, sloppy, persistent, caring, motivated, obnoxious, or helpful church. Sometimes all, all the above. <laughs> what would you guys say was your perception of this church when you first visited or heard of Elk Point Baptist Church? What was the first thing you guys thought of when you heard about this church? Thank goodness. Oh, that's a good one. See? A positive what are some other thoughts? Or maybe something you've heard somebody say. Yeah, Connie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think very easily... This church had a lot of positive. Very easily, was it was it was known. Yeah, Ron. Say encourage. What was that last word? Yes. Yeah. So Ron saying he in this church he felt very encouraged to move forward and not judged or pushed to move forward in his faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for those on YouTube right now that couldn't hear that, Jesse 
It was not the church of Jesse Haley. He, he made it very clear this was the church of Jesus Christ. This was, he, it was all focused on Jesus. It was not about Jesse. It was about Jesus, and it was about the word from the very beginning. It was real. And that's what drew me in. Honestly, the first thing I heard was it was in a small little storefront, and I heard a description where the bathroom was. If you remember the first church, the bathroom was well within earshot, and it was embarrassing because you had to walk in front of Jesse to get to the bathroom. And <laughs> I just was hearing this example of what this church was like, and I was like, what? Like, Veronica kept saying, we got, you got to go. You got to go. It's so good. But I'm hearing all these things that I was like, no. <laughs> it's like, that sounds terrible. But so then I finally just got out of, out of my own head and, and got over needing, you know, this excuse of needing sleep because I worked night shift at the time, and I was like, fine, I'll go. And then I heard the real word of God, and I heard a preacher that cared about Jesus Christ and cared about people, and man, that had a lasting impression on me. So it's important that we keep that, that testimony going, that real witness, that authenticity, that the focus constantly back on Jesus Christ and not about the programs we have here, not about the things that we are doing or the building that we have. No, it's all about God. That's our focus. So how can we as a whole or in, on an individual level be helpful in exalting the Lord by creating a strong Christ-like reputation for this church? We stay focused in the word. We stay real. When somebody says, hey, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. Well, if you're not doing fine, I bet the other people in this church would love to pray for you, like love to help and be there for you. You know, some people aren't, are, aren't as extroverted as, as maybe I am, but I, having discovered the power of letting people know I'm hurting, love to share it. I don't, I guess, share every single detail, but I'm definitely encouraged by people's desire to pray for me. Because when I know people are praying for me, that gives me a lot of encouragement. We need to be real examples. Sometimes Satan will try to spin false rumors about a godly church. Satan will do everything in his power to keep people from coming here. But even so, a church that is right with God and faithfully getting the gospel out will have a reputation of reaching its community with the gospel message. And I pray that that still continues for this church all the way until Jesus Christ comes back. I want this to be a church that is reaching the community, reaching people where they, where they are, not saying you have to come here. Yes, it would be great if they would come here because we can be an encouragement even more so here and, and pray more diligently for them here, and then they'll get the, the word of God. But we have other avenues of, of sharing our faith with them and our testimony with them, sharing YouTube videos and sermons and messages. But also our relationship with them will have an impact, and we need to be in the community. Notice the strength of the church's reputation at Thessalonica. It was firmly planted on Jesus Christ. Letter A, they had a powerful reception. This was a church that had a reputation of receiving the gospel and allowing God to work among them in a powerful way. Look at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, God's word, it holds power that is beyond human ability to manufacture. It is not our words that have an impact. It is the message of God. It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ that has so much more power. We feel like we need to add to it or 
fluff it up and make it all pretty for somebody, but guess what? The simple words of Jesus Christ is enough to have a powerful impact on somebody's life. We don't need to make anything up or write a long message to try to convince somebody. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God can have a major and massive impact on somebody's soul. When we bring the gospel to others through preaching, personal testimony, or witness, our words may not accomplish much, but the Word of God can touch a heart at a level we cannot reach. We can tell somebody for years the gospel message and get really discouraged by not seeing a change in their lives, but we just do our part and we keep praying for them and we keep sharing. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Quick in this verse means it's alive. The word of God is alive. God's word is alive and reaches into a person's heart, bringing conviction and the power of God. Our own words may fall to the ground, but God's word has the power to change hearts and lives to bring a new birth, to bring life to a soul that desperately needed it. We don't have the strength to do that. We didn't have the strength to do it for ourselves. So sometimes we get in our minds that we have now the strength to do it for somebody else. No, it's still the power of God that's moving. It's still the Holy Spirit that's convicting. And, and it's his word that we still need to fall back on because that's what did it for us. It's that simple. It is the simple gospel message. It is not needing to be complicated. 1 Peter 1, 23 and 20, or through 25, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It was not Paul's personality or strength of speech that built the church at Thessalonica. What was it? If it wasn't his... his personality or his ability to speak what was it that had an impact that built this church at Thessalonica yes I'm looking for a little more than that it was the word of God God's message that built that church always remember when you are witnessing for the Lord that the power is found in God's word and be careful to actually use God's word. We're not making up a gospel. We are using the actual gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 tells us how the power of God's word developed in the life of this church when it says, in power and in the Holy Ghost. As Paul was preaching and teaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit was superintending and giving his word entrance into hearts. We need the Holy Spirit's power in every area of our lives. He's our comforter. He's our strength. He gives us encouragement. He gives us the power to move forward and to endure things that we, based on human standards, should not be able to endure. 
Real witness for Christ comes when we have the real power of the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit touch our hearts and work through our lives. When the Holy Spirit is at work, souls are saved, lives are changed, families are strengthened, and addictions are broken. Let me say that again. When the Holy Spirit is at work, souls are saved. That's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. Lives are changed. Families are strengthened. Lord, or, or, you know, hey, pastor, my family's falling apart. I don't understand what's going on. When we, we, we bring it all back to God and say, Lord, I, my family's falling apart. I don't know what's going on. It's the Holy Spirit that can strengthen our family. You rewind back a few years before God shook me to the core and, and brought me up to a mountaintop to say, hey, I need you. I felt like my family was falling apart. I was not a spiritual leader in my house. I was the one tearing my family apart. But because of him, my life was changed and my family was strengthened and addictions were broken. <laughs> He's the answer. He's the way of escape. Not only that, teenagers are encouraged to live for God how do I reach my son? How do I reach my daughter? I don't, I don't know how to communicate with them. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit does. And churches are strengthened as well. Too often we are content to witness without the Holy Spirit's power. Yet Christ told his disciples that this power was essential for witnessing. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We share the word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit, and when we do this, the result is much assurance. The assurance is twofold. First of all, as we witness, there will come an assurance in our heart that the word of God is being conveyed by the Holy Spirit to touch lives. And secondly, those who receive the word of God will have an assurance that this work truly is of God. When you truly receive the word of God, you realize that it, w it really was all about God. That God really has an impact. God really can do it. You don't look back to the day you got saved and be like, man, that preacher saved me that day. I look back and I, you know, I, I don't remember the message. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember who prayed with me. I just know that Jesus died on the cross for me and saved my soul. <laughs> and, and I understood the way to my sin and I understood why he died for me. And that's what I remember. I don't remember the person that impacted me. And I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that God put people in my life to get me right where I needed to be to hear the word of God and to get saved. But it was not them that did it. Yes, it was their willingness to serve, but it was God that wanted me. And it was God that chose me. And it was God that provided an opportunity. And I am thankful I said, yes, Lord, I am terribly wicked. And I know why you died for me. And I desperately need you if you'll have me. And he had me. <laughs> He did. When we see the powerful reception of God's word in the church of Thessalonica, we are reminded of the importance of prayer. Where there, was, where there is no prayer, there is no power. But where there is God's power, there comes an assurance in our heart that God is at work. This was the story of Thessalonica. There was a powerful reception of the word of God. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, there was an assurance that this was indeed God at work in that place. 
But the witness didn't stop within the church at Thessalonica. It was not contained in that one location. Letter B, it was influential propagation. I didn't come up with these bullet points. I probably would have found other words for that one. An influential propagation. The believers of this church were bold and faithful to proclaim, proclaim their faith to others. They had a real faith, and thus they had a real witness. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So in other words, by the time they had an opportunity to share the gospel with these people, they had already heard it at Thessalonica. It was the impact they were having spread from that location. First, Paul mentioned that these Christians had a faithful testimony in Macedonia, which included Philippi and Berea, and Achaia, which included Corinth and Athens. All could see that God changed their lives. But additionally, members of this church sounded out the word of the Lord in the regions even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. It sounded out means they heralded it as with a trumpet. They were shouting it. They were preaching and teaching it as loudly as they could, no matter what the repercussions were. They did not keep their faith secret. They were bold witnesses for Christ. They were not timid. They were not afraid. They were bold witnesses shouting it as far as they could shout it. This is God's plan for getting the gospel out. Romans 10, 14 through 15 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. These Christians were in earnest about sharing the gospel and they purposefully gave it to those who did not know the Lord. They were not hiding it. They were not timid they were not afraid of sharing with somebody that might judge them no they were blasting it out as loud as they could for anybody that did not know the lord we mentioned earlier that thessalonica was situated along the ignatian way one of the ancient roman roads that became a main route for commerce and trade the thessalonican church took advantage of this opportunity to witness for christ and as they proclaimed the gospel to travelers and tradesmen those who received christ as savior took it with them to they took it with them as well as 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 says, every place. They took it everywhere with them. Their witness was so effective that when Paul would begin to witness for Christ in another town, he would encounter people who had already heard the gospel while they were traveling through Thessalonica. This is significant when you consider that the spread of the gospel was accomplished without the internet, without social media, and without telephones or radio. Well, I don't have a good enough website. I, I don't have a presence on Facebook. <laughs> we don't need it. They're helpful and powerful tools, kind of like a trade route like they had, but that is not what matters. It's a matter of sharing it with them. It was done by a group of real Christians who really believed in their message and who had a real witness, a real testimony and a real example of who Jesus Christ is and the impact he, they had, that Jesus Christ had in their lives. That is what matters. In 1956, five missionaries were killed along the beach of Kurore River by the Alka Indians to whom they had gone to witness. One of these men was Jim Elliott, whose 
journals are now well known. Prior to his death, Jim had recorded in his journal his great desire that his life have a real impact as a witness for Christ. He wrote, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a mile post on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Jim's desire to be a crisis man or crisis man meant that he confronted people with Christ. His witness was powerful, it was real and remembered because it contained the real gospel and led people to a point of decision. Although he died at the age of 29, he impacted many with the gospel because he became a crisis man, a point of decision for people. The power of the witness from Thessalonica is seen in the fact that they that even as their witness was carried to other places, it was still firmly intact and gripping to the hearers. Paul heard it himself from the lips of those who had heard the gospel in Thessalonica. In verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How real was salvation to these Christians? They had made a decisive break with pagan religion and turned from idols to Christ. That's how real it was to them. Idols were no small matter to the people in Thessalonica. It, not only was it the worship which they were raised, but it was the national religion of Rome as well. Not to worship the emperor and the imperial cult of the empire meant certain persecution. It meant death for them. Most of the Western world is too sophisticated today for idols made of wood or stone. But even if more sophisticated, we are not less pluralistic. We have our idols. We have our mini G gods rampant throughout this country. Like the ancient Greek and Roman societies, our culture insists that all deities are equal and that none can say one is better than the other. Naturally, this means it is culturally unacceptable to quote Jesus' words of salvation. John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, uh, unto the Father, but by me. And at the risk of being misunderstood, and in the midst of persecution, Christians in Thessalonica served the Lord by having a real witness for Christ. To anyone who would listen, they proclaimed the gospel, which had first freed them. Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. These faithful Christians had a real shining witness. Their testimony was genuine. Their service to the Lord was from the heart. And their proclamation of the gospel was consistent. The witness of the church at Thessalonica was known everywhere. And it wasn't because they had clever marketing strategies or particularly winsome personalities. But because the reality of their own faith, their faithfulness of their personal discipleship and the power of the gospel itself as they were bold to share it, was there. These Christians who had once been held in bondage to pagan idolatry lived out the words Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. And I'm not quoting the entire chapter, but I picked a couple for you. Verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. If we desire today to have a real witness for Christ, we must likewise yield ourselves to be his servants. If we are going to have a real witness for Christ, then we have to be real servants of Christ. 
We must ask the Holy Spirit for his power, and we must be obedient to share his word with those we come in contact with. Authentic Christians have an authentic witness. If we are fake in our walk with Christ, then our witness will be as well. It will not have the impact we wish it would. And authentic Christians are bold to share their witness. We cannot be timid about sharing the gospel. No matter how uncomfortable it may feel, we have to share it boldly and as loudly as we can, no matter what the repercussions are. Because the word of God has power. Not only that, but yes, it's our weapon, but it's our armor as well. When he's walking with us, when he's fighting spiritual battles with us, he's our protection and our power. And he is having an impact in that soul. And it's just our job to be willing to do it. So let's not be timid. Let's not be afraid to share the gospel. Let's have a real witness and share the gospel boldly. Who's with me? That's what I thought. All right. We have any questions? We have zero minutes left. No? <laughs> I'm just teasing. All right. Uh, I hit right at the 45 mark. So uh, if you have any questions, you can ask them now or afterwards.